Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessings of the rain. Thank you for the blessings upon our minds and hearts and for being here, Father, because we are alive and we are happy and we are beginning this day. Be with us in this moment in which we are going to study this um, topic in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, when I was approaching to this, uh, to this topic, in the, in the time in which I was um, a pastor in South America, um, one of the things that um, called my attention was that uh, Pentecostal movements were very faithful, very very passionate with, yeah. with the conviction about having the gift of tongues. So I, I began to to, to to go in deep to the topic of speaking in tongues and um, and let me share with you that this is a very critical conviction for them. However, um, as I put here, yes, I put it here. This is the article of faith of the assemblies of, of God. And, and I know that you took note um, yesterday, but I am rephrasing because this is a critical point here. The initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of believers in the Holy Spirit is witnessed by the initial physical sign of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives them utterance. Probably what we need to understand here is the rationale behind. And the rationale behind of according to what um, Bernard Brown, a theologian, says, is this, close to this. I, I, I have an experience. My experience is in the Bible. Then, then my experience is true. Okay? That, that, that is the kind of syllogism that you are going to find out. So how they reach this concept of true. Connecting the Bible, but based upon this experience. So the foundation of the rationale here, it is, question is, is biblical or, or is experiential? You, you understand the point? I have an experience, my experience is in the Bible, then my experience is true. So, when you go through the experience as the foundation, let me share with you clearly that you are going to be in trouble because 
that is not upon the Bible. It's upon the experience that is close or is similar to the Bible, but it's not the Bible itself, the point here. That is very important. It's experiential. So um, that is critical point that we need to take in account regarding this. The other thing that is convenient to share with you is this. Is the whole Bible affected with the concept of glossolalia? Look for glossolalia in the Old Testament. Give me one example in which you are going to find out that this um, kind of commandment given by the Lord um, telling, well, those who are going to sign uh, as a sign that the Holy Spirit is in them is because they speak in tongues. Look for the whole critical view in the, in the Old Testament. You are not going to find out that. So here, here is that to happen a kind of suspicious thinking regarding the topic. Is this um, God requested manifestation upon the human behavior or is a kind of institutional requirement coming as a request to the followers of that movement? Think. And I mean, what you think, uh, let me share with you a um, couple of, of quotations of some sources that I, I've been sharing with you uh, before. Let me find out where I, 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 I got that. The, the other thing, by the way, the third thing is this Glossolalia is not something exclusive from the Pentecostal. Are you aware of that? Um, let me tell you that there are, there are manifestations of glossolalia in demonic worship, in occultism, in pagan religions. So if then experience is the background, that is a problem. Because here we are going to enter into a very deep waters regarding the topic of that. Um, Gerard Hassel, by the way, in his book, mentions that shamans talk to the Tsar's spirits in a sacred language that is a glossolalia kind of speaking. And Carlan Mayer mentions that in Malaysia, Indonesia, Siberia, Arctic regions, China, Japan, Korea, Arabia, Burma, and many other places, this is a kind of manifestations in local kind of worships. Um, in, in dealing, and I put this in this in this book that I gave them the bibliography, bibliography here in, in other sources, reaching and winning Pentecostals. A former Pentecostal charismatic movement said, I must confess that in my case, as in the experience of other people, 
we invented a sequence of phonetic sounds with the purpose of not being asked if we have received the Holy Spirit. And, and here is the reason. We did this because in my church, there was a kind of internal hierarchy. There were those who received the Holy Spirit, the good ones, and those who didn't, that were exposed to receive a divine retribution. Kidal, remember John Kidal I mentioned yesterday? Psychology of the speaking tongues. And, uh, and I am here with a source. Not all glossolalia appears directed by the Holy Spirit. He mentions that. But much by a desire to be accepted by congregations where the gift is held in esteem. That is, that is telling you a lot. Yes. Not all Brosolaria? No, the name of the author. Yes, John Kida. John Kida. The psychology of speaking in tongues. This is the book. And he says, not all glossolalia appears directed by the Holy Spirit, but much by a desire to be accepted by congregations where the gift is held in esteem. Um, the, I, I put this in a... In, in, in the book in Spanish, and I, I, I did a translation, I, I, I am quoting from that here. I, I held a conversation with um, somebody that says that, um, yes, uh, it was speaking in tongues. So the first question was, do you understand what you are saying when speaking in tongues? The answer was no. I don't understand it. If you don't understand what you say, what then is the purpose and meaning of practicing it? Well, even though I don't understand it, God does, and He understands it very well. Uh, don't you believe, my next question was, that God understands Spanish or English too? No answer. Okay. Don't you think that it could be better that we speak to God in the way, in a language in which He understands and we understand, so we fulfill the circle of the communication. Re re remember, circle of communication yesterday. Okay? But when I speak about the circle of, of communication, means that a speaker an auditorium there are understanding and this is closing the speaker is conveying a message the auditorium or the other person is understanding and is answering back and this is the circle of the communication so here technically speaking 
that there is not a fullness of the circle of communication because uh, there, there is a problem in connecting back about the meaningful of the thing. So here is important, and I am not demeriting, just describing in the, the process. Uh, I asked another question. You told me that you have the ability to speak in tongues or languages, did you? The person says yes. Okay. How does the language go? Can you reproduce any sound similar to those involved in your speaking in tongues? Could it be something like sunda, tanta, danda, la, 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 unda? The yes. person says, well, something like that. The question is, why, why do you think that it's a language? Well, I don't know. I only experience that and express it. Any formal language has some rules, structure, vocabulary. It has nouns, articles, adjectives, and of course, verbs that describe the actions, the facts, the time, idea involved. Do you know when you are saying a verb, an article, or a noun? Please, I am, I am seriously asking. You, I, I know that some people laugh about that, but the, the critical question is, is that? And the answer was no. Then, how do you know that is a language? And the person asked me, okay, if it is not a language, what it is? And, uh, and I frankly answered that question and say, it's a noise. That is not a, a language. There is not a structural, in, in a linguistic setting, that is the point here. So when you are pronouncing unintelligible things, that is not linguistic uh, structure uh, conception, it's a noise. No other thing than that. It, it is sometimes painful, difficult to understand or accept, but it's, but it's the perception regarding the topic. Yeah. So that, that is, for me, the critical point here when you go, and, uh, and I invite you to go now and open your Bible in two chapters, Acts and First Corinthians 14. Because for some reason, for some reason, you are going to find out that um, those things are in the Bible. And let me tell you something. It is very clear for me there is a big difference in here and in here. Here, here is a blessing. Here is a problem. Yeah. Here in the book of Acts, the people was blessed because they were in knowledge about what were the good news of salvation. The author 
is going to be very critical because you are going to find out that for first time a gift of the Lord or the Spirit is beginning to be a problem into the church. So to the point in which the Apostle Paul uh, began to say how he, as a leader abroad, probably writing from Ephesus to the uh, church in Corinth, to tell them how to compose, how to deal, how to behave in the congregation because the gift of tongues was beginning to be a problem in the congregation. And it's very clear about that. Because if you go to the first Corinthians, see the structure of the people. Watch. First chapter, second and third, he's dealing with divisions in the church. This is going to tell you something. And uh, in, in chapter four, five, he's dealing with uh, discipline in the church. Um, in chapter six and seven, is dealing with certain troubles in the administration. Seven is about marriage and the problem of marriage in the church. Uh, nine is about food and also about the rights of the apostles in the church. Eleven is about the condition of the uh, communion service in the church. And in twelve, until fourteen, the apostle Paul is beginning to draw the topic of there are gifts in the church. First is about the chapter 12. It's, uh, it's about the gifts in the congregation. And, uh, and after Paul, right into the Corinthians, he expressed something that is a blessing for many. That is the biggest chapter, probably, uh, in which he is articulating one of the biggest thinking that is about love. Love. Because even though um, you know you know things and you can express yourself in angelical languages, says at the beginning, if you don't have love, agape, um, you are nothing. And then he enters into the topic. Chapter 14. And this is about the, the tongues in, in the church. And of course, after that is the topic of resurrection. And in chapter 16, it's about the offerings that um, he's going to collect for uh, the benefits of those in Jerusalem. That, that, is, that is a picture, general picture, I would say, of the Corinthian. Um, who believed in tongues, she told me that the blessing was not in the speaking in tongues, but the person who translates it. She felt she had been so blessed by the translation. How do you answer that? Well, yeah. well uh, I, I mentioned yesterday that John Kidal, in the psychology of the speaking in tongues, he uh, mentioned a couple of experiments that are done. And I mentioned here in the in this in this booklet, I put those here. Um, one experiment is um, a glossolalic experience was recorded privately and submitted to different interpreters of tongues. 
In no instance, says Kida, in no instance was there any similarity in the several interpretations. So the point is, if that is the blessing, the blessing is very close to Babylonic conception here. I, I would say, uh, uh, just prudently, um, with no scoffing about that. Let me, let me finish the point. The following typifies our thought. One interpreter says the tongue speaker was praying for the help of his children. Another, that the same tongue speech was an expression of gratitude to God for a recently successful child fundraising for. There's no communion and no harmony between interpretations. I think that verses 7 and 8 of 1 Corinthians 14 make it very plain that it has, he talks about musical instruments making a sound, oh, yeah, yeah. unless they are making a distinct sound. I'm, I'm going there, I'm going there. Okay. I'm going there. I'm going there. I'm going there. I'm just, this is a kind of bus stop in which I've, I've been um, entertaining the, the point here. The second experience um, highlighted here. Uh, he says, we know of a man who was raised in Africa and uh, um, the son of a missionary parents who decided, rather cynically perhaps, to test the interpretation of tongues. He attended a tongue-speaking meeting where he was a complete stranger. At the appropriate moment, he rose and spoke the Lord's prayer. I mentioned yesterday this. Yeah. In African dialect, he had learned in his youth. When he sat down, an interpreter of tongues at once offered the meaning of that he said. He interpreted it as a message about the imminent second coming of the Lord. So, you, you say, what, what's going on here? So, that, that, is, that is the kind of of problem regarding that. So remember something, and this is a very good thing, believe me. Speaker, audience, or auditorium, or or person listening, and this is the message and the communication, and here is the answer back, and that is the circle of the communication. The point is that uh, we don't need if you understand, we don't need somebody that has the grace for doing interpretation. And if the interpretation is not correct to the topic, we are going to be in trouble. Let me tell you something. Last Saturday for me, it was um, one of the first, first release experience I had. Why? Because we invited a Kinawaga speaking community to come to us. Okay, and uh, Kilianwaga is not an easygoing uh, um, dialect in Africa, and, uh, and is shared by people of Congo. Um, is the main language in Rwanda. Is um, the section of the East Congo speak Kilianwaga? South Uganda speaks Kilianwaga. North Burundi speaks Kilianwaga. So it's a lot of people that share that language together with Swahili, okay? So, um, I've been searching 
who is wanting to be the interpreter. And I've been doing this for years, but um, for next year I've been shifting and preparing people to, 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 to do the work in the following years. So we experience with a new interpreter and, and he performed a very, very good interpretation that translated into Spanish. And the other, in the other cabin, um, there was another Turkish water, Thomas Irunda, and uh, he did a fantastic job. And um, I don't speak Iguanda, but uh, I, I've been checking with the people that um, speaking the language and interpretation was very, very, very good. So here, in the process of interpretation, you need to be, um, translation is quite important. Let me, let me share with you something that has to do with this. Um, in the translation, you have the writer or a speaker, let's put this way, and the auditorium, again, and translation, when you transfer from this to this, you need to be clear here and honest here. You need to convey what is here to this. So you need transparency in the process. And sometimes, sometimes, uh, the dynamic of translation is not necessarily word by word, but conceptual frame idea to conceptual frame idea. I've been, I've been checking, look, looking in the internet about the Asian islands. By the way, I mentioned him yesterday. Uh, he is the chief translator of 1960 version. Um, Yushin Naida um, spoke several languages, and one of them was Spanish. And uh, that, is, that is the chief editor of RB60, Reina Valera 60 in Spanish. And, um, and of course, that is, that is important. And the, the point in which he mentioned is that Translation has to be a kind of dynamic translation function. And sometimes it's not literal translation. Today, uh, in the afternoon, when you came, I mean, I've been searching something that she asked me yesterday regarding translation of our King James Version. And I'm going to mention that. Because sometimes, um, we judge some versions, and of course, one critical question is, what is the best version in my language? You know, but uh, let me tell you something: the best version normally is when you uh, are clear with the audience and honest and transparent with the writer. Um, that that is that is that is very 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 important here regarding this, this topic. So I'm going to enter now into the, into the main uh, point in which I'm going to do references regarding the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians 14. You have, a, you have an idea about what, what the topic is in the book of Acts, isn't it? It's the moment in which the Holy Spirit comes and they started speaking in tongues. You, you remember that? 
uh, we, we mentioned yesterday, but we, now we are going to do um, a complete series of, of parallels regarding, um, regarding this, this topic. Um, I, I don't know if it's necessary, but I suggest now open your Bible, please, in 1 Corinthians 14. The book of Paul is connected. To finish 1 Corinthians 13, he is beginning 1 Corinthians 14. And, and love, agape, translated as charity, is the word. Follow, he says, after charity. And desire a spiritual gift, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he hath speak in unknown tongue, speak unto men, but unto God. For no man understand him, how being in the spirit he speak mysteries. But he hath prophesied, speak unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So here is a comparison between what? Speak in tongues and, and prophesy. And he says, which one is better? Prophecy. Prophecy. Now he says, he does speak in an unknown tongue and he enters now into the topic. Um, edify himself, but he prophesies, edify the church. I will ye all speak with tongues, but rather uh, that ye prophesy, for greater is that prophesy than he uh, that uh, speaketh in tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. And now he said, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking in tongues, what shall I profit you except? that I shall speak you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine and even things without life given sounds whether pipe or harp except they give a distinction in the sounds how shall it be known what is piped or harped it's very clear here the apostle Paul but let me tell you that now he entered into the form. Verse 8 and 9. For if, if the trumpet give an uncertain uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Now, watch now. Verse 9. Verse 9. Powerful. So likewise, yeah, except the yeah, utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into there. So for me it's very convincing. So here, here you have something quite interesting. 
this we mentioned I have an experience that experience is close to one in the Bible then my experience is true so that is a problem in the experience because here is matching with something that is objective and that is linguistic it, it is important to take into account this think about the, the topic so okay one one easy comparison here between the book of facts and and first Corinthians who is the speaker in the in the book of facts apostles yes do you agree with that and who is the speaker in first Corinthians congregation that that is lay people okay Go, go and put that speaker, lay, and the other apostle. Here, you, you remember? I put here in the. Here is an apostle. Here is a lay person. Who are who received the message? Who are the object of the message? Okay, First Corinthians. Who are the listeners? Well, based on the Jewish, probably don't know. Probably, yeah. I, I would say non-charged members. Sometimes, even though um, sounds, it, it's a crowd that were um, reunited in Jerusalem for Pentecost. Some of them were Jewish, some were not. So I would say members and non-members. But in the other, there were members of the congregation. In First Corinthians, yes. In First Corinthians, yes. So, what is the form of of the speech? In First Corinthians, looks like kind of prayer, maybe singing, or a presentation. Remember something. Remember something. What what was the condition of the city of Corinth? Well, yes, it was a center of a important worship, but it was a port. And when you go to a port, I was born close to a port. And when you go to a port or a port, you are going in, in, in the hallway and you are passing by gates. And here is Spanish, here is London, British English, and this is Hong Kong, this is Africa, and you are going to be listening a lot of varieties of linguistic backgrounds, people chatting each other uh, before entering into the gate. That is experience. When you go to a seaport, you are going to see something similar. There is the ships, the ships, and in the ships, uh, there are people coming from, from Greece, people coming from Syria, um, is Arabic, is Greek, is Italian, uh, is Spanish, is French. Uh, that is the same thing. So, Colin, being a kind of cosmopolitan city, they do have that. And when you go to churches with that kind of background experience, you are going to have some kind of experience like that. 
So I would say that, um, that you need to take in account that. So the form in 1 Corinthians is prayer, sing, but in, in the book of Acts is preaching. They were preaching because they were giving testimony about their own experience of salvation to those who didn't know about it. That is, that is an important purpose. What is the purpose in 1 Corinthians? Okay. It's a kind of devotional. It's, it's a kind of devotional. And in the book of Acts, it's evangelism. It's a kind of evangelistic setting. Because they were doing, they were performing a kind of, uh, of process of communicating the gospel of salvation. Um, who, who are they targeting in their speech? In First Corinthians, looks like God, but in the Book of Acts, man, it, 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 it is clear. Is audible? Yes, is audible. Can be audible or non-audible, but in the Book of Acts. It was very clear that everybody listened about that. They didn't need to have headphones to listen about that. Um, is linguistic? Well, First Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, uh, there are so many kinds of languages, and all of them have a meaning. So. Here is telling you that First Corinthians is a superficially non-linguistic. It's a kind of noisy, um, joyful message or something like that. However, in the book of that, in the book of Acts, is is a language. It's linguistic because they were they were um, and, and that is the dimension are not these Galilean how we listen them speaking in our tongues. That, that, that is linguistic. First Corinthians is not, and that is not clearly given. Um, now comes the point that our um, friend here mentioned. Interpretation. It was it was a need of the interpretation in the book of Acts? That, that is the point. That, that is one point that is important to take in account. Because in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 14, it was necessary. I will say mandatory. Because the Apostle Paul, when you enter into the second after after the, the verses we read, he, he commanded them that if there is no interpretation for that in the congregation, the person have to keep silence in the congregation. So, interpretation was mandatory in that condition. And that is the first time in which a gift can be a trouble if there are not some kind of policies in the process 
Are you entering into the topic more clearly now? Okay, the other, the other thing, comprehension, understanding. In 1 Corinthians, of course, there is, there is a little bit of confusion, of course, no understanding at all. And, um, and in the book of Acts, the audience were understanding. Because they were answered about that. Content. Content. I mentioned that the first Corinthians looks like devotional. The book of Fact, it is connected, according to the Apostle Peter, with a prophetical um, anticipation of Joel that is, that is prophetic in, in the background of that. And uh, that, that's interesting. Um, objective. I would say uh, in First Corinthians, look like give thanks, maybe to, to the Lord um, in audible form. Um, but in the book of Acts, um, that was to convert those who were not faithful followers of the Lord. And uh, what is the consequence? The result. Well, in the book of Acts, they come to the church and they convert. And probably they were part of the first baptismal service that the book of Acts registered. However, the consequence of 1 Corinthians 14 is problematic because there were some kind of turbulence inside the local congregation. And that is, that is telling you that is not the purpose of the Lord, that is not the pleasure of the Holy Spirit in the church to bring confusion and some kind of alarm inside the church. So edification, I would say in the book of Acts, yes. In 1 Corinthians, I say no, there is no edification unless there were a translator or interpreter. So what is the value, total, final, the summary? Here is a lady in finances, a uh, specialist, and um, all of them in finances look at the end, bottom line, what is, what is the final, you know? What is the final thing? And the final thing is that in the book of Acts, that is effective because they were speaking tongues and the people were effectively given the message into the other languages and they came into the church. That was effective. In the other, that was not effective. And what is not effective is unprotected. So the interpretation is, 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 is critical. So here is kind of balance Regarding uh, regarding this um, um, this this form this this topic. Um, let me let me yes. Don't 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 miss the idea, but you uh, finish with it. Okay. Are you aware about the Catholic existence of 
of charismatic movement yes. and speaking in tongues. Yes. Do you do you are you are aware of evangelical speaking in tongues too? Are you aware that sometimes they they work together? Yes. Okay. Let me ask you something. I, I know that you are majority here Seventh Day Adventists, but think about what I'm going to say. Don't don't you think that the Holy Spirit do not distinguish between those who worship images and those who don't? You understand what I am asking? Charismatic are Catholics. Normally they worship images. And there are no problems with images. Pentecostals, evangelicals, normally they don't have images in their churches. So if we put together about that and say that the same Holy Spirit is given them, and them is both, is the Holy Spirit blessing equally those who worship images and those who don't? Yeah. How is this, this fellow? Too much silence, please. <laughs> How is this guy who, it's interesting to me, this guy Tony tried to bring uh, the two together, he gets killed in the middle of all this, and I'm just blown away by that. You know what I'm? Huh? It's an intervention. Yeah, that's what I think. Well, um, uh, that 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 is a, a reaction. You you have an question. There's one aspect of this that the charismatics bring out um, in, in in the Old Testament. In First Samuel 10, Saul is has this experience as well, where he is the Holy Spirit comes upon him, yes, and he prophesies. But there's an aspect that you didn't mention that's spoken of there, where he's he becomes a new man, he becomes a different person. Yes, and the evangelicals point this out as the born again experience as part of this. So, it's not mentioned in the New Testament so much. Yes, that's true. However, um, the point is that even though uh, that appears to be a, a very um, changing experience, and I do agree with that, the point is that probably um, the Pentecostal do not mention too much about that because there is no speaking in tongues into that uh, prophecy. Yeah, but not speaking oh, tongues. Yes. I have been in the because prophesies is the point that is marked in First Corinthians yes. fourteen, yes. and that is that is no problem with that. Um, even even though the apostle Paul agreed with that, but not speaking in tongues was not described in the Bible. Yeah. I've been in a meeting where these people were together, and a fellow stood up and he said. And he spoke in English. And the person up front claimed that he had prophesied when he basically 
it was really interesting. But he basically said something that was already known. And it was really interesting to me that uh, the person who was up front was telling the whole audience that this man has the gift of prophecy. When in fact all he was doing, and this is a charismatic church, okay? In fact, all that he did was to quote his scripture. Now I understand that when a pastor speaks, he has, has a gift, or whoever is speaking should be under the power of the Holy Spirit. But to single someone out and to say that they have the gift, that, how, how does this person up front, I mean, this, this is really what boggled my mind, is how one person here in front of the whole congregation can single out this person back here. It's kind of like, oh, that person over there needs this gift, and this person over here needs this gift, and, or has this gift, and this one has this gift. And they're all trying to basically tell, the person up front is trying to tell everybody who's in the audience who's got what gift. And it's really, really mind-boggling to me. And of course, there were people going on in Australia as well. It was, and so I, I was having a hard time listening to all of this because it was so foreign, I guess, to me, to even, I don't know if anybody's ever had that experience with these when you look in the midst of these people or not. I worked for 24 years with a lot of them. It was really interesting to listen to this business of gift. And they would, all these gifts, not just speaking in tongues, but they were talking about prophecy and healing. About, well, this person has a gift of healing. Really weird because sometimes it appeared that when they placed their hand, and they did this all the time, they placed their hand on somebody and start praying over them and then claim that they were healed. Yeah. Well, let me tell you that um, my perception, and I, I have to be very cautious being taped and. Uh, also, uh, being frank to you, um, my perception is that there are many fakes situations and uh, that is part of the business sometimes in, in, in some conversations. And I put that in writing and, um, and I know that there are not many people pleased with what I wrote. But I, I base upon some kind of experiences in which um, um, there, there was um, a magazine um, that uh, tells a story of a person that was with a wheelchair um, and passed in a big stadium um, uh -huh. in the in middle center city in Argentina in the last night of the campaign of um, uh, speakers that by the way 
uh, is told with a translator. Um, and in the night in which finished, he passed um, with a person, and, um, and he said, uh, the, the speaker told those who want to be healed, and mm -hmm. uh, that, that person um, stand up from the wheelchair and began to walk, and the stadium was roaring around that, and uh, it was considered a miracle. There, there is, there is a, the, the article is written, yeah, by the way. I, I didn't, I didn't wrote that article. It's, it's about maybe 20 years ago. I have to um, review that one and say, I, I put that in my book. It's crazy. And with that finish, um, you know, stadium was, uh, the people were going to the exits, uh, looking for the streets. Buses, taxis, cars, parkings, so on. And um, and the journalist was following that guy with a with a wheelchair and reached the corner, called a taxi, and in the moment he was calling the taxi, he approached him and said, no, um, what 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 you are you are you are you from here? He said, no, I'm not from here. Where are you going? No, I am with the speaker. Because I need to represent the same thing in another city the next time. And he put that in, right? Good. In the article. You know? So they call inspiration to the others? Um, yes. And I will say, I will say the old thing. Be, be careful with that. Be careful with approaching to that. Because um, this is not biblical, you know? And when you enter into that, you enter into a dark space in which the dominion do not belong to the Lord of heaven. And we need to be very, very careful. That's my personal perception as well. You wrote the yeah. um, I work with a very intelligent physician who um, goes to one of these churches, and he brought the question to me: What is wrong with my spiritual life because I can't speak in tongues, or because I can't? So also know that there's many people in the congregation who searching their hearts trying to figure out why they aren't connected enough with God to be able to do the things they see up front. So there are very, very sincere people in these churches that are searching and might not understand, even though they might be very much so, I'm a Pentecostal, they might not understand why they are, and they might be searching and asking questions. Because they can't speak in tongues, or when they speak in tongues, they know in their hearts that it's not a connection um, so a lot of these people are not necessarily fake. Could you remind me? Could you look for the gentleman? Oh, sorry. He left this. So. Okay. 
this is an important, there is a very important topic here. Um, I don't find, based upon the New Testament, that that is my plain answer to you. There is not a direct commandment, apostolic commandment, telling you need to speak in tongues to show that you receive the Holy Spirit. But that's what they hear from their pastor. I understand that. Yeah. The point is, show me with the Bible where this is coming from. Because more than more than a biblical request, I would say is a human request. And that is the reason of the nation from the beginning, in which some people invented to tweak the topic and say, I I have one, it's different from yours, but I received the you know the the glossolalia and, and that is fake. Because um, the real topic in which and that is the reason I, I am doing this, here is the paradigm in the New Testament. And there is a connection. Here, your um, medical doctor, there is bright and smart and so on, they are not following the circle of the communication here. Because there is no understanding how you are going to close with something in which he is speaking and you cannot understand. He says easily, oh, because you are not interpreter. And what is the other basis in, in which you contract two interpreters and they are going to give different versions? There is not logic in that. And that is telling you that something is wrong from the source. So, and it's amazing that the Holy Spirit is impressing on his heart to come and ask somebody about that. Yeah. yeah. You ask me something, and I'm going to answer that. Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to the Bible, and please uh, open. Book of Matthew, chapter 7. And let's read together because this is this is an important section uh, regarding this. Let's read first verse 15 on. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by the fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a root tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by the fruits ye shall know them. Now comes the topic here from verse 21. Not everyone that say unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he hath done the will of my Father which is in heaven. 
Many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's power. Biblically. Our Lord sent you. This is Jesus Christ. And the point here, the point here is that there are who say by name the name of the Lord, but they are not doing the will of the Lord. And that is the difference. Saying, not applying. Saying, not living. And that is the huge difference. So when, when you go to the Bible, by the way, regarding this topic, there is no any command coming from the apostles to speak in tongues. There is not a command. Um, more. I would say that speaking in tongues in the Corinthian church was more a problem than a blessing. To the point in which an apostle has to put order and claim something we need to put an order here in order not to be a confusion. I, I requested or respected your silence when I asked you for this, but I'm going to um, give my point of view regarding this. When you see a movement in which they claim the Holy Spirit charismatics and say the Lord is with us through the Holy Spirit and they worship images and the other no, then for me this is devilish. This is from evil. Because it's bringing more confusion than a blessing, but it's a kind of ecumenical movement in Babylon than anything else, trying to get together and pull people out of the biblical scriptures and the commandments of the Lord. That is my view regarding this, this topic. But it's not a view that is based upon experience. It's based upon what the Bible says. Because there is no commandment. Can they bless the Holy Spirit, those equally with the others? One that worship images and the other no? That is telling you a lot about the movement, leadership, and the experience that they are having. And this is bringing more confusion than blessings into the church. And for me, that is a, a very, very critical point regarding that. The other, the other thing is that this is a kind of creation, fake creation of, of hierarchical condition into the church. Because, um, you know, I, I don't see that in the Bible. Where, where, where you see in the Bible that if you speak in tongues, you are going to be a male, a leader, a respected person in the congregation. If that was the case, I can be the president. I'm joking. My wife said, don't, don't say jokes. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? Listen, uh, that, that, that's the point. That 
that the people is creating a human hierarchy that is not based upon the Bible. Where, where, um, where is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit? Let me let me share with you. Let's let's go to the book of Galatians, and we are finished with that today. And tomorrow we are going to continue with Ephesians. Okay, um, but um, here. Um, the Apostle Paul says that we need to walk in the Spirit. Verse 16, chapter 5. This, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusted against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye believe of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are this, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies. And violent, murders, drunkenness, revealings, and such like, like that. Of the which I tell you before, that I have also told you in the past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, short, peace. Long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Let me tell you what, and after such we're saying here that if you perceive the Holy Spirit, you are going to speak in tongues. This is a requirement. And it's simple. Very, very simple. So, that is the critical point here. And that is what we need to be filled of. Because when we are filled of the Holy Spirit, these things are going to be with us. So, what we need to think about is is there in my character love, joy, peace? Long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, because this is the revelation and the manifestation of the Holy This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org